This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we support design engineers and make lightning protection easy. You're listening to the Struck Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm Alan Hall. And here on Struck, we talk about everything aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. All right, welcome back. This is the Struck Podcast, episode 24. Alan, how are you? Great, Dan. Boy, oh boy. Uh, Aviation just doesn't keep churning, does it? Busy week ahead. Yeah, yeah. And we have a really interesting show today. We have lots of like very diverse, strange, strange topics from guns found at TSA, more Boeing problems, uh, lightning rods protecting F-35s, birds hitting planes, um, crazy looking EVTOLs, DARPA, and drones. So look forward to an interesting show today. So let's get started. So... New article shows that right now TSA is finding guns in carry-on bags, 80% of which are loaded at three times the rate compared to last year. So 15.3 guns per million passengers compared to 5.1 guns last year. So Alan, what's your take? Why do you think this is happening? Well, I haven't seen any good reason for it explained. I've seen the articles and TSA has put out some notices about it because they were alarmed about it and trying to make everybody aware like, hey, <laughs> check your luggage for the, the weapon you yeah. left in it. But it, I either chalk it up to people who haven't been driving around a lot and have forgotten about and been moving around a lot and have forgotten about the handgun they have put in their backpack or a handgun that may be sitting in their duffel bag and load it up and go to the airport not thinking it's in there and TSA will find it. They will clearly find it. Yeah. That's that's the one thing. I, I think the other one is that in this sort of um, climate of, of concern everybody's in, maybe people are thinking it's a smart thing to take a handgun onto an airplane. And that is never a smart idea. Uh, TSA will take you down and it's a... It is a big problem uh, when you because that's that's basically you, you're breaking federal law when you do that. So there's yeah. no, there's no reason to be carrying a handgun onto an aircraft ever. Uh, there, there are rules in which you can take air, uh, weapons onto aircraft, obviously unloaded, obviously in a hard case. Obviously, you're checking that luggage in with the counter so they know what's going on. Because you see it around hunting time all the time. You see people traveling mm-hmm. out to the Montana, Wyoming, whatever to go deer hunting. But yeah, yeah I mean, and, that, and that's totally cool, but uh, we can't have something stupid happen on an airplane. Uh, so t- TSA has been really vigilant. I know the times that I have traveled, I'm surprising, one, at still how few people are, are actually on aircraft, but two, how long it takes to get through the TSA lines. And I kind of wonder if they're not being overly cautious on handguns and generic weapons coming through the security lines and taking slower looks at luggage uh, and finding so it's either they're taking slow looks at luggage and finding more weapons or two thirds they get the same rate of weapons coming through there and only catching one third of them which is <laughs> hopefully not yeah. the right answer yeah well I mean do you think that it'd be interesting if they could break it down by route and of course there's probably yeah. not I mean 15 guns per million there's probably not enough guns to have a statistically significant difference between routes but you wonder if people are, who are flying to Portland where there's constant unrest are taking more guns, you know, like if you're flying mm-hmm. to, I don't know, if like a hotbed city for a protest, you know, you just have older folk maybe who are just 
you know, they want to be prepared. I don't know. Yeah. Like you said, there's a, there's a lot of fear right now and there's a lot of conflict. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a dangerous world. And if, if you happen to be traveling somewhere and something happens, um, otherwise uh, relatively complex, it could be chaos in the next minute from what we've been seeing. And that just, uh, I don't know, the news media is not doing a good job here. So it, it does no. raise awareness and people start taking actions on their own. Uh, to defend themselves, rightly yeah, or wrongly, not, and not good. It's shown up in airports. And that's not good. Yep. Keep your guns out of the airport, folks. So moving on, Boeing uh, instructions. So there's some new work that needs to go on with the Max, Alan. So what's what's the deal here with the the 737 Max yet again? Yeah. So when they were doing the 737 Max reviews and looking at all the changes that had incorporated, one of the things that happened is they noticed that. They had some wiring issues where one wire bundle is running across another wire bundle. And I, I, I know if you think about it that way, like, oh, well, what's the big deal there, right? Well, when wire bundles cross, there is a possibility that it could eventually rub. And if they do rub and a uh, actuator line touches a power wire, that actuator be- could move. So in, in this particular case, I think it was elevator, but it could have been rudder. Uh, th- there's two wire harnesses that cross. One contained power, one contained basically actuation, and uh, they weren't separated properly. And so there could be a failure mode or a series of failure modes because it's you don't inspect wire harnesses all that often because they tend to be buried in dark places. Uh, there could be a, a situation where you have wire harness uh, interaction and uncommanded movement of a control surface, which can be catastrophic. It could lose the aircraft. Uh, I don't think the design had the design had been that way for a while. I just don't think anybody has gone back and looked at it over time and and applied the new regulations, new wire harness regulations to it. And then when they saw it, uh, they notified the FAA and said, "Hey guys, we got the, we got this wire harness issue. We don't think it's. A, I think the first approach from Boeing was to say it's probably not a problem, but." Uh, you know, in the climate we're in right now with the 737 MAX and the other things that are happening, the FAA said, no, you should fix it. The problem with the fixing part, it's not, it, it's a major event. When you have to reroute wiring, you have to reroute all the mechanical supports that go along with it and more than likely change out the wiring for longer wiring or shorter wiring because the path from A to B has changed. So it's not as easy as like taking that wire bundle, lifting it off and scooting it over or putting some sort of standoffs in it. It is more of we're going to have to replace those harnesses. And the number of aircraft, 737 Maxes that are hanging around out there and the amount of time it does take to fix them, I think it's close to eight hours to, to fix one wire harness. Uh, wow, that's a lot. It's going to take up a lot of time. So there's going to be a lot of electricians sitting in the back of these airplanes trying to, to correct this situation. Sometimes when these wiring situations comes up, uh, in my personal opinion, on the smaller aircraft, so on sort of business aircraft, things like Learjets and Cessnas and Citations and the, those kind of Dassault's uh, kind of aircraft is uh, anytime you're walking around those back of those airplanes and making some sort of repair mod, uh, is a time, an opportunity to do other damage because there's not a lot of room to move around in there. And it wouldn't be unusual to bang on a hydraulic line or step on a harness you weren't supposed to step on or step on a component that was, you know, using as a step, you can't see it. 
that kind of stuff. So it's not just the replacement time to fix the harnesses. It's all the other things, all the inspections that have to occur afterwards, all the replacement of things that may have been broken or bent or stepped on as the the, the mod is being made. So it's it's a lot more intensive than what people think. All right, so we're going to move on to our engineering segment. So first up is, man, this is a really uh, beautiful photo of these F-35s. So an article from uh, thedrive.com just showing that uh, lightning rods have been used to protect F-35s during uh, exercise northern lightning. And um, so you thought this is a pretty, pretty sleek idea because obviously these jets are being stored outdoors in a pretty lightning intensive area is that right yeah right and it, it's very common for aircraft that are stored outside uh to get struck from little cessna 172s 152s to obviously bigger airplanes 737s 747s a380s uh, you see it all the time the aircraft are on the tarmac a storm comes through and whammo <laughs> there's a lightning strike to the aircraft it's not even moving and as you know, with the F-35, it's a quote-unquote stealthy aircraft. So if it does take a strike on the ground, you have there's a series of events that are that have to occur to make sure the aircraft is put back in an airworthy condition, including all the coatings and uh, all the special features that may have been damaged when that happens. So for the cost of throwing up a couple of metal pipes on the on the uh, tarmac, there you can save yourself thousands probably hundreds of thousands of dollars quite honestly from a lightning strike damage to one of these aircraft wow yeah okay (laughs) it's a it's a cheap alternative i think it's i think it's brilliant quite honestly uh i had seen some posting that the feds uh post uh uh, offerings that you can uh, bid on and i saw this pop up i don't know what, it's been a little while ago where i saw oh, lightning rods for tarmacs to protect airplanes Ooh, that seems like a good idea we I mean we should implement that at some of these airports because it would save save a lot of time on fixing airplanes it's good that's a smart it's a very smart move very smart well and it seems just very obvious and simple i mean sometimes uh, i mean correct me if i'm wrong but you can look for really complex solutions when the obvious simple answers right in front of you. I mean, I'm sure you've had a lot of moments of that, like that in your career as an engineer where it's like, oh yeah, we could just do this. And everyone in the, everyone in the room is like, oh, what were we doing? This whole time. <laughs> Let's you all know. go home. Yay. And then, you, yeah, you just try to silently be like, okay, we didn't just spend eight hours thinking all this crazy <laughs> stuff when it was right in front of our nose the whole time. We'll just ignore it and pretend that didn't happen. But yeah, it's like a daily yeah. event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that's why, I mean, on as a side note, that's why outsiders, I mean, you and I are both baseball fans, like some of these outsiders are just suddenly like, hey, why do you do this stupid thing? Why don't you just do this instead? Why have you been doing that for 50 years, guys? And you're like, oh, yeah, I guess that is dumb, right? Yeah. It's funny how outside eyes can just, uh, you know, a fresh have a perspective. fresh perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think somebody had a fresh perspective here. Uh, probably, well, I don't want to say where they got it from, but I'm sure the Army has done similar things to protect their vehicles out in the open. Uh, mm-hmm. So maybe the Air Force is taking some of the Army's technology and implementing it themselves. It's pretty slick. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of archaic problems that are still a problem, uh, Snarge. So interesting article from the Wired or uh, Wired.com. Um, just talking about, so Snarge is, uh, I guess, this interesting uh, word uh, combination between snot and garbage, which refers to the the unfortunate goo that's left when a bird hits a plane. Uh, but yeah. bird strikes obviously were the driving force behind 
the uh, the the movie title is going to escape me right when I need it most. But um, with Captain Sully, right, as he piloted the oh, plane yeah. successfully in, into the into the river. Remember, isn't it North by Northwest where he scares all the? No, no, no. It's uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost uh, Indiana Jones. Um, where they go uh, for the chalice, uh, where they scare all the birds on the beach line, and it crashes the airplane that's shooting at them. Same sort of thing. Oh. Remember that? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I actually watched those recently. I mean, how many classics didn't we all watch during COVID, right? But so I actually did why I can't I can't recall that one. I watched all the Indiana Jones ones, which are great, but also they have that little bit of weird slapsticky-ness yeah. to them. Just interesting. But The Last Crusade. Anyway. The Last Crusade. Yeah, well, you're right. The Last Crusade. So obviously bird strikes, like you, you feel like this isn't an issue, but it is, right? And these things, yeah, especially it if it's like a goose, I mean, that's a, I don't know what, 12 pound object getting hit by something going 400 miles per hour. So well, yeah. what is what is the what is the damage like in here and how do they, <laughs> what is the technology keeping us safe from, safe from these bird menaces? Uh, it really is testing. That's what it is and designing for the regulatory requirement. So the regulatory requirement for aircraft, for part 25 aircraft, which are sort of transport carrier category or, Larger business jets is a four-pound bird. I think it's going at VC. Um, so that's a pretty fast speed. I'm an electrical guy, not a structural person, but those tests are super destructive. And if you ever, you can go online and go on YouTube and see bird strike tests. For I've seen cars. them. Yeah, they're yeah. crazy. They just look like they become liquid hitting these. Oh yeah, I mean, everything becomes at that speed. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so it's much terrifying. energy. Uh, being dispersed in such a short span of time that basically the the bird turns to jello, and uh, it kind of it, it, it kind of absorbs into the structure and which is running into, and then there's really no way. I mean, today we actually have some computation ways to predict the the amount of damage that will occur, but we still do testing, so it's sort of a computational first look and then we followed up with some validation testing but as we've done that the last several years we kind of get more and more into sort of the computational side but it's very easy to see aircraft that are struck by birds and the level of damage because it, it usually is not just one bird usually they're flying into a, a grouping of birds so birds hitting windshields birds hitting nose radomes birds hitting wings birds hitting vertical stabilizers or horizontal stabilizers birds being adjusted into engines are a huge problem because you can like on a, on a wing you can penetrate that leading edge and get into the fuel tank yeah. so you got a fuel you got fuel coming out right on an engine it, it's going to go through that engine and you can lose or maybe maybe one more than one bird typically but you can lose that particular engine and just like you're talking about with sully they had birds going in both engines and lost both engines so yeah. it's Adios. A, yeah. it's it's a really serious thing and if if you're around airports that have uh bird problems and it tends to be at least in our part of the world canadian geese that migrate and want to hang out at the ends of the runway you'll see things like these uh noise cannons propane cannons that fire off every once a minute to encourage the birds to land somewhere else because a, a, a canadian geese is bigger than a four pound bird right yeah uh so if you hit something it's a, obviously hopefully you're catching it closer to the ground where you're going at a slower speed so the energy's less but uh, the amount of damage that can occur from a bird impact is substantial, substantial. 
to the point where now we do a lot of testing to make sure that a, a bird can't bring down an airplane. But still, in the Sully situation, birds going to both engines, just really not much you're going to be able to do there. Uh, yeah. The FAA puts up notices about where birds are, and they, I know Philadelphia had a problem for a while. So, yeah, it's, it's really, really serious, and it happens pretty often, a lot more. It happens more often than lightning strikes, in my opinion, or at least the damage mm-hmm. is a lot more visible than lightning strikes because there's a dent left somewhere uh, on the aircraft, windshield, nose radome, for, you know, all over. All over. Well, so these engines are pulling in so much air and creating so much thrust. I mean, is it yeah. create like a vortex where a mm. bird is more likely to go into the engine or, or not really so much? Everything's happening so fast. I mean, you can kind of suck it in if it's if it's not directly in that line, inlet line. Uh, it can definitely could pull it in. Just grab it. Yeah, it can kind of grab it because, you know, they do have some mass there, but it's the engine's pulling so much air, sucking so much air into it. It's going to, it's like a vacuum. It's going to suck anything that's around it into it. Um, so, you know, the engine manufacturers, the GEs, the Pratt & Whitney's, the um, uh, Rolls-Royce, uh, look at that as part of one of their certification tasks is to validate what happens when a bird goes to the engine. Because what you don't want to do is start losing the heavy rotating parts of the rotors. Um create a rotor burst situation so not, not only do you lose a bird but then you got this flying grenade of an engine blowing holes in the wing and the fuselage and tail and all this other stuff which causes other problems uh, so it's it's a really serious certification thing but we, when we don't think about that much and i don't think of all the years i don't think i've been on an aircraft that's actually struck a bird i've seen damage from it but mm-hmm. up close but I, I i don't think i've been in an airplane that's actually struck a bird have you Ever been in an airplane that's hit a bird? Not to my know? knowledge, but it, it now it now makes me very nervous. So yeah. um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have my eye out for these birds and be scowling <laughs> at them. I worry about it where the Canadian geese are or those large flocks, and you occasionally see it at airports uh, as you drive into an airport. Like, hmm, there's a large flock of whatever geese hanging out down here. That probably isn't smart. I hope we're not taking off in that direction today. Uh, so. Well, it's and it's funny because like I, I was uh, by Reagan Airport the other day in DC. There's so much water. I mean, it's surrounded by water. Like, so is LaGuardia, mm-hmm. like, right? And you yep. wonder, how could they ever avoid all the birds in this area? Like, how can they keep such a, like, a wildlife preserve almost around the airport, like, free? It it seems like an insurmountable problem. Yeah, and that's what happens but, at, at the end of these runways because you don't want to develop them. You don't want to have houses down there in case some, an aircraft runs off the runway, like, a, in a midway situation. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of the more... Uh, modern air- airports have these sort of landing areas or extended runway areas or grassy areas to capture aircraft, which end up being marshes where it's wet. And then the wildlife starts hanging out there. And yeah, then you have problems. You really have problems trying to manage it. All right. So in our final segment here today, we're going to cover electric tech We've got a very interesting EVTOL. We're going to talk about DARPA and some of the cool stuff they're doing with AI and also um, U.S. approval of some U.S.-made drones, which is going to be a big bolster to the uh, the industry. So let's start there. Let's start with drones. So the, uh, the Pentagon has cleared five models for government use. And, of course, DJI is like the overwhelming, uh, you know, DJI is a, Ch- a Chinese company, but the, they're the overwhelming leader in drones globally right like anyone like i have a dji drone they're super well made 
They're very easy yeah. to use. They are essentially just like, it's hard to compete on price with DJI because you get so much for so little yeah. relative. I mean, they keep outdoing themselves and it's, uh, it's, it's impressive, but, um, trying to get away from Chinese made drones makes sense for the U S but I mean, what's your take on the situation? So Skydio and a couple other companies, um, have been approved here for us use. Um, what does this say to you about the, about the drone industry? Well, I, I thought the latest thing on drones was they're going to limit the U.S. Um, purchase, the United States government was going to limit purchasing of drones to the United States or non-Chinese companies, essentially what it sounded like. Um, and that's going to put a little turmoil in an industry because the United States is a big draw for drones most of the space in the united most place in the united states is open area even though it seems like there's mm -hmm. a lot of big cities most of america is open <laughs> so you not go very far and get to an open field and and go fly a drone so we're a huge market here and I, i'm not sure if there's going to be ever ever any um you know right now dji is that leader but you kind yeah, of like kind of wonder almost if that's, eighty percent of the market. Yeah, it's yeah, crazy how big their share is. That's going to. I think it's going to change pretty rapidly. Honestly, I don't think that's going to last all that longer. Uh, they have a home market, uh, but how much control is the uh, Chinese Communist Party going to have on the use of drones in China? Probably a lot, based on some of the news <laughs> news items I've seen coming out of China that have been drone based news. Uh, in the United States, I think can create that marketplace they have all the we have all the infrastructure to make drones it's not particularly complicated we just have a more expensive workforce and and that's what i think drove yeah. dgi to to be in the position they are because it's just labor costs are less and uh, the, but there's the technology wise you know we're, we're making rockets that land on ships right now tesla is and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if we can if we can do some of those things and uh, we can sure make a little plastic drone do whatever we want it to do we just gotta you know get a couple of american companies and european companies or companies in south america honestly to start filling in that what is soon to be void yeah for sure so speaking of bigger uh vertical takeoff and landing vehicles the Air Force uh, watched a, a manned demonstration of a lift aircraft, single seat Hexa. And this thing is kind of bizarre looking. It's like a matte black. It's got these big, <laughs> like six feet on the bottom. It's got the, it reminds me a lot of the Volocopter, like the way oh, yeah? the rotors are. It's got a lot yeah. of small rotors in okay. that round, like deer yeah. antler kind of uh, look yeah. to it. Yeah. But then it's it's like kind of open, and, and this is a, a fascinating, and it seems kind of bizarre. But they're saying that <laughs> the CEO of Lyft is saying that you know they're hoping to launch a consumer flying experience where you can fly with less than an hour of training, with no pilot's license, for less than twenty two hundred fifty bucks a flight. How does that strike you? <laughs> seems <laughs> tough. <laughs> that seems really unrealistic. What was a little two wheel scooter that? Uh Dean Kamen created uh, that we used to run around. Um, oh, you know what I'm talking about, Dan? The little two-wheel thing? The, se the se Segway? Segway. The Segway. Yeah, right. That, uh -huh. that was the same thing said about the Segway. How many people toppled over to their deaths on that on that Segway in a short amount of time? Didn't the president at one point take a huge spill in one of those and people I'm running sure. themselves off cliffs and that kind of thing? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that happened. So it always seems to me like if we can't, 
manage segways. I'm, I'm not sure we're going to be managing <laughs> something that flies. I think it's going to take more than an hour. I would suggest that it's more than an hour, that we go slow with it and try to make sure we don't kill ourselves in it. I, I'm sure it's totally cool, and I'm sure there's a bunch of safety um, provisions in place to make sure you don't roll it or dump it in the ground in t- you know, intentionally. Uh, but still, there's <laughs> just uh, putting a human in always adds that variable of craziness where they're going you know again flying by the seat of your pants you don't always make the correct decisions when you're uh letting your your backside make the decisions is what tends to happen in these things so yeah we'll see well speaking of dji i mean i have one of their small drones that's incredibly easy to fly it was like a great uh, beginner drone called the mavic mini yeah and they they put so much they put a lot of technology in place to make it really simple, pretty crash proof. Although it wasn't a high enough price point where they had obstacle avoidance in it, but mm-hmm. you take that drone where you just like basically push a button to take off. It's going to hover. You can't do that much to make it like you couldn't make it roll. Um, it'll strafe and go forward and back, but you like couldn't. You know, it is it, it had a lot of limiters on it for yeah. novices, right? Got so, training wheels. Um, yeah. So why couldn't they have? that sort of thing just scaled up with great obstacle avoidance like when mine runs low on batteries it just says coming on home like you can't do anything about it it's just going to come back like it just knows Mm. gps where to go back and it'll land itself and it's pretty incredible so you don't have to worry about getting out somewhere where you're out of battery it's just going to say hey we're down to x percentage time to go back so i mean can't they scale that up where it is pretty oh i'm sure that they can but the if humans given the chance, it will not want to have those limits on them. <laughs> yeah, That's true. Right. Yeah. So any kind of, I'll, I'll give you the, a similar, I'll give you an analogy, which I don't like using analogies, but you know, all the sports cars that come, you purchase the car and it's got the chip in it. And the chip limits how fast it can go. And all the mm-hmm. secondary market in which they've got these chips or reprogram the chips. So the cars go as fast as you can humanly make it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it'd be no time <laughs> at all that someone's trying to reprogram one of these things to do whatever they want it to go do. That is inevitable. Because if we're doing it to cars, we're going to do it to aircraft, even if it's a small scale one person thing. Uh, that will that will clearly happen because there's only takes one guy to figure it out and put it on YouTube, and then that everybody's got it got it figured out and is going to try it so i'm not so sure yet i'm not i'm not a big fan of these things for the for the military service uh, where they have a particular mission to go do and there's obviously there's a ton of training and supervision on the military side awesome awesome i think it could be a real benefit on the battlefield or in maybe in just sort of daily operations uh, but I think we got a little bit of a learning curve to go on the civilian side. Well, I'm going to quickly use another um, analogy, which is, you know what happened in Jurassic Park? In Jurassic Park, they had the, the Jeeps or the, the Ford Explorers on a track. And they and left like, they just, the they, track. And they, got out, and they got out of the track. And then some of them got eaten by dinosaurs. And they learned them, so. their lesson, right? <laughs> they learned their lesson. You Stay can't control. on the track. Exactly. Uh, so our last thing. So DARPA put out a AI dogfight against a real pilot. So we had a simulation. Actually, a good friend of mine, Anna Skinner, was was one of the the main uh, driving forces behind this program, and they pitted a a veteran F sixteen pilot against an AI named Falco. 
I think that was his name. And yes. so, Alan, how did this uh, how did this go down, and what was your your take on the on the DARPA fight? Well, it didn't go well for the uh, the F sixteen pilot, uh, the human pilot, and it was I think there was five dogfights over about five hours ish, and it was it was it's been broadcast on YouTube, so you can actually watch the simulation mm-hmm. yeah, go it's down. Really cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool because there's commentary with it and describing what's happening and the situation and what the pilot would be feeling and what the computer's thinking and and and, and watch the the dogfight play out. But essentially, AI won. Now, is there any surprise? I guess maybe there's a little surprise with that based on the chess matches early with uh, the big IBM computer and the human would win mm-hmm. by tricking the computer yeah. and then right. It's just, it's the seen that in movies all the time right we trick the computer and then when the humans win well i think we went past that <laughs> because the humans were over in this particular experiment uh i thought it was interesting that w- it was broadcast i understand why they did it uh to show their capability on the computational side and and the learning and and because the computer has no constraints on mm-hmm. it's not doesn't have a body it's in a physical form where a pilot does and so there are certain uh maneuvers that are very stressful on the body and yep. the computer doesn't care right uh, and so given equal aircraft and the computer can do a lot of predictions in its head where the pilot's sort of going by experience and feel the computer's just calculating 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 and do predictive things and watching what's happening with the pilot how he reacts and then react to that so you know over time eventually you know the the, the ai is going to be as smart as a pilot and then you, then um, it can do whatever maneuver it wants to go do so the human pilot is at a is at a significant disadvantage as we as we saw what they're going to do with that dan did you understand what the next step with that was obviously um they have a very happy computational computer science staff over there where that happened. I'm not sure the pilot community is thrilled by it, but what was going to be the next step out of that? You know, I I wish I knew. Uh, Like I said, my my friend, Dr. Skinner's, she's brilliant and she's putting a a ton of work on this program, but the whole AI stuff gets a little bit beyond me. I I think it's really just (laughs) exploring the future and seeing, you know, what might be possible. And, And it's more about can humans coexist with, with AI as far as, you know, whether it's in the air or in the sea or on land, like, can we have a hybrid sort of force and how can they assist humans? Cause, uh, as far as she's explained, like AI can't, and this is goes for like driving cars. It can't predict a lot of the stuff that humans know. Like we were talking about me riding in the bike lane recently. I know to look at all these cars in the in, ahead of me, to see if one of them's maybe got a sign that they're going to swing their door open into the bike lane. <laughs> and you can't necessarily train AI to, to know that or to do that. Like they're making lots of calculations faster than I could, but you know, they can't necessarily tell if a, if a child is, looks like he's about to dart into the road after right. a ball or just like, you know, you as a person, you know that that kid looks like he's about to run to the road. I'm going to stop my car. And AI is not to the point where it can do stuff like that. And they're just, I think, still exploring a lot of limits of what AI can do. And so this is a really interesting, I think, just uh, extension of that, just trying to push the limits and see where this might be at a go and where it might be useful to maybe aid pilots, not necessarily obviously compete against them. So I think right. it's just well, uh, that, they're doing a lot of really interesting stuff for sure. Yeah. Well, the the latest, uh, 
I think it was in Australia where they uh, did a, a recent flight where they had a, a basically a drone flying next to a human piloted aircraft and you know acting as a quote unquote wingman situation. Um, I think there's going to be more of that where there's going to be drones uh, flying with human piloted aircraft to do special things or to monitor for electronic surveillance or all those kind of things. I, that I think is today. It, it, it probably mm-hmm. is happening today. We just don't know it. Uh, but uh, I, again, right. It's, it's that pattern recognition thing and what patterns should you be checking for? I agree with you, Dan. There's a lot of things that we as humans, we just take for granted because we've seen the patterns, even though we're off humans are awful at, sometimes pattern recognition we're not awful at it either because uh we're still here <laughs> otherwise we'd be wiped off yeah. the face of the planet you know the tigers would rule the world but uh so it, it's going to take time and i think as we grow into it a little bit more we're going to be able to do more pattern recognitions know what to look for and the computational speeds are getting s- stupid crazy so it doesn't take any more time quote unquote time to process so many different things and do such so large of a data crunch it's we finally reached that threshold all right well that'll do it for today's episode of struck if you're new to the show thank you so much for listening and please leave a review and subscribe on itunes spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts check out the WeatherGuard lightning tech youtube channel for video episodes full interviews and short clips from the show and follow us on linkedin twitter instagram and facebook our handle is at wg lightning Tune in next Tuesday for another great episode on aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. Strike Tape, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes, provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at weatherguardaero.com. That's weatherguardaero.com.